Well, if you were away or uh, were tied up in Thanksgiving Day festivities or preparations last week, uh, just want you to know that you missed a really special Sunday morning together as a church family. Uh, we launched back into another section of the biographical account of Jesus written by one of his followers named Matthew. And uh, in Matthew chapter 8, where we were picking things up, <clears throat> we learned about the authority that Jesus has, particularly the authority that Jesus has to influence um, sickness and disease and brokenness and strife and stress and you know, all of the things that weigh us down and cause us pain. And we closed the service last week just kind of begging God personally and in little groups and with people coming to the front, begging God in prayer to access that authority in the areas of pain in our lives and the areas of brokenness in our relationships and in our church and in our city and in our world. And I got to tell you, it was just a beautiful picture watching people, you know, in the location where I was, knowing that this was happening across all of our locations, congregation-wide, you know, just appealing to God in prayer, all together with one voice, recognizing the authority that Jesus has over all things in heaven and on earth. And this morning, uh, as we continue on in Matthew chapter 8, if you brought a Bible or a, a Bible app, you can turn there and follow along with us. We're going to continue with this theme of authority, but this time Matthew shifts gears a little bit and moves from appreciating the authority that Jesus has to instead reflecting on the authority that Jesus is in each of our lives personally. That's the journey that he's going to take us on today. To provide a bit of background, let's look at verse 18, where it says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Now, Matthew doesn't say why Jesus felt the need to kind of skip town, cross to the other side of the lake. Maybe he was tired from all of that healing and miracle working. Maybe he wanted to kind of share the love and share the healing power with those on the other side of the lake. I don't know, maybe the sun was in his eyes and he, he wanted to cross to the other side. The scriptures don't tell us. All they tell us is that he wanted to leave this place where he'd been doing ministry. And if you can put yourself in the shoes or in the sandals of someone in the first century who was in that crowd, experiencing this like highlight reel of a day of Jesus' miraculous activity, you can imagine that they all collectively would have had one feeling. As Jesus is wanting to leave, they're going to what? They're going to they're gonna want to go with them. And they're going to want to experience more of what he had to offer. And in today's passage, Matthew looks at two of those such people. Two people who wanted to follow Jesus along to his, to his next location. We begin in verse 19, where it says, Then a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Not a surprising response in light of what Jesus had been up to. I will follow you wherever you go. Uh, it starts off by indicating that this is a teacher of the law. Um, and that's important to understand. Uh, some translations more accurately interpret that as a scribe. More of a student of the law. Kind of a student teacher. Like a, almost like a grad student in our, in our day and age. Or even a prof. 
You know, a, a person who performs a teaching function. In fact, one translation called them a religious scholar. So let's call them kind of a professor in, in, in that sense. A person who performs a teaching function, but is in a lot of ways still a learner at heart. Do you know anyone like that around here? If, if you've been around here for some time, I'm sure you're familiar with at least one of those species of people because we around here get taught by one of those kinds of people about two out of every three Sundays. You know, Michael Krause is our teaching pastor here at Southridge across our locations. But if you know him at all, you know that he's a student of heart. He just oozes study. I mean, this guy reads Hebrew on holidays. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's kind of how... People like that role. And he just got this incredible capacity to absorb and retain information. His brain actually is, is probably literally like a sponge. In fact, I don't know if you heard him talk last week, but uh, he was referring to this CAT scan that he had to get uh, because he's got some sinus issues. So one of the tests that the doctors put him through was a, a CAT scan of his brain. And he came back to the office. He was all concerned. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, oh, I got the the CT scan results back. And I said, well, what did they say is wrong with you? And they said, well, it's not my sinuses. They said I suffer from Wikipedia. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, when they looked at my brain, that's all they could see was this, you know, word Wikipedia. And that's what the CAT scan results show in the brain of a guy like Mike Krause. And these teacher types whose hearts ooze for study. They just want to gain knowledge and learn as much as they can. They're just passionate, lifelong learners. That's the kind of guy who's approaching Jesus here and saying, teacher. Interesting that he refers to Jesus as teacher. Jesus has been healing and talking about life in the kingdom of God. And this passionate learner, student, teacher type wants to relate to Jesus as a teacher and will go wherever Jesus is going to continue to learn from him. Kind of a complimentary thing to Jesus. You know, not guys not doing anything wrong, but it, it sort of creates a contrast to the way that Jesus replies. It says in verse 20 that Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Interesting that this student teacher type refers to Jesus as his teacher, but Jesus refers to himself as son of man, as God incarnate, as the characteristics of God in human flesh. That's an important contrast to the role of teacher, and it says something about what Jesus is trying to say to this teacher, student, passionate learner type. More than that, he's, he's letting him know that, you know, while lower order creation has reasonable accommodation. Jesus from now on is going to, you know, even a son of man have really nowhere to call home. There's going to be no, you know, frequent Hilton honors or holiday Inn priority club kind of card that you're going to get if you're going to follow Jesus around. And his, his point isn't necessarily that Jesus is going to live homeless. Um, we learned last year or last week that Jesus probably had a home base, you know, with Peter and Peter's mother or mother-in-law. He, he probably had a home, whether he owned one or not. He probably had a home base. But, but in this stint of teaching and ministry that Jesus was going to be on, um, it was going to affect the way that he lived. And his point, ultimately, to this teacher-learner type who was passionate for Jesus to be his teacher was that Jesus was not only going to be the son of man to him, hopefully, but that following him was going to actually affect his way of life. That if he was going to follow Jesus, he was going to follow Jesus for more than learning. 
He was going to follow Jesus, here's the point, for living. That following Jesus wasn't going to be something he could study. It was going to be a lifestyle that like the son of man, like God in human flesh, he was going to aspire to in his human flesh as well. And the point that Jesus is making to this would-be follower about following him is that following him is more about a lifestyle than it is about just learning. It's more about a lifestyle of becoming like him and like God in your human flesh than it is just about learning more things about him. Well, you stop and think about that for a moment and think about our 21st century North American church. There may not be a more significant message to our community of faith today than that, than followership being about a lifestyle of change more than a life of lessons to be learned. You know, you think about the way that our, our, our church is even structured in, in 21st century North America these days. You know, you have gatherings, large group gatherings like this one, you know, where predominantly you get together to learn things. And then you have programs during the week at many churches like ours, you know, for supplementary or for niche specific Learning, Or you have small groups, or we call them life groups in our context, that meet in each other's homes to discuss what it is that we're learning. And sometimes we even refer to those things as Bible studies because we're learning and learning and learning and learning. And, you know, a lot of times, and Rick Warren, pastor from Saddleback in California, once said, you know, if you look around in the church today, when all's been said and done, he said, there's a lot more that's been said than actually done. Because a lot of times we default to defining faith as just learning and discussing and trying to expand our knowledge instead of actually being changed by it and applying it to our lives. To live a different lifestyle, one that more incarnates, one that more resembles who God is in our attitudes and our behaviors. But, you know, we learned a few weeks ago in our immovable series that one of the bedrock values that the Bible teaches, one of the core essentials of the Christian faith is that followers of Jesus actually follow Jesus and that following Jesus is more about an apprenticeship than an academic pursuit alone. That it's more like trade school. It's learning for sure, but it's learning to become like Jesus in order. It's learning about Jesus in order that you become like him and that in order that you ultimately live differently you know that's what following Jesus that's what these programs and things are intended to stimulate it's funny we were talking about this uh, in the launch of our life group this year just a couple weeks ago we were saying that you know we could we could gather together and just talk about faith week after week and you know throughout the course of the year have great discussions about what a life of faith should look like but we were comparing life group to a running group, which is more from where my background comes from. And I imagine this running group, you know, getting together to, to, to become better at running. But when they gather as a running group, all they do is talk about running. And they never actually go for runs and never actually exercise and never actually become better runners. And we were talking about that in the context of our life group, that we don't want to be that kind of life group that just talks about faith. We actually want to exercise faith, not only in the way that we do life group and engaging in a different frequency of contact and a different type of conversation and a different depth of authenticity and relationship like our life group ministry tries to facilitate, but in the character transformation and in the lifestyle of action and of mission and of generosity and compassion 
that is the character of Christ being formed in a person who's actually learning more about him and implementing it in their lives. And Jesus is saying to this passionate learner that that's what a life of followership is intended to be. Not just talking about Jesus, not just understanding Jesus, but ultimately becoming more like him in a way that costs you, in a way that affects you, in a way that changes you. Because following Jesus isn't on our terms. Following Jesus is on his terms. It's about a lifestyle, not just about the learning. We see another dimension of followership in this next episode of another aspiring follower of Jesus. In verse 21, it says that another disciple, implying that this first student teacher type was also a, a, an aspiring disciple, an aspiring follower. Another disciple, verse 21, said to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. First, let me go and bury my father. Now, this is very confusing. We've got to understand what's going on here in order to understand how Jesus responds to him. When this guy says to Jesus, let me go and bury my father, um, the odds are extremely low that this guy's dad is actually dead. In fact, with, with first century understanding of what it meant to honor your father and mother and, and the obligation that especially a son would have in caring for a parent who literally was dying, let alone in coordinating a funeral if they had died. The odds that if this person's father had passed away, they would actually be out on the street engaging with Jesus in that way is almost impossible to believe. People who understood this in, in, in Matthew's day would have, understand, would have understood him to be saying something different when he says, first, let me bury my own father. What he's talking about instead is living that era of your life where you become the caretaker or the caregiver of your parents until they pass away. That's what he's talking about here. You know, in, in, in Jesus' day, it was understood that you know, there's a, there's a time where parents care for kids and then sometime along the continuum that shifts and becomes, you know, inverted where kids care for their parents. You know, in my life, that happened when I was about 16 years old. I, I was being babysat by my parents until then and then from that day on, I've been babysitting them ever since. Okay, it wasn't 16. It was more like 14 when I started high school. Let's be serious. And, and, and in Jesus' day, unlike in mine, in Jesus' day, there was actually kind of an economic incentive to this. Because if you were faithful in that role in providing care to your aging parents until the end of their lives, that was the way you actually received your inheritance. And you jeopardized your inheritance if you didn't play that function faithfully. And so when he says, first let me bury my own father, we need to understand that he's not talking about an instant. He's talking about an era of his life that could last years, even decades. But he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, once I sort out this season of my life, and particularly once I stabilize the economics that kind of go with it, then I'll be at a place where I can follow you more fully. And if we understand that that's what he's actually saying to Jesus, then Jesus' response makes a lot more sense to us because in verse 22, Jesus says this. It says, Jesus told them, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Uncontextualized, this is probably the most harsh and insensitive thing that Jesus is ever quoted as saying in any of the four biographical accounts, isn't it? 
Like, can you imagine actually saying this to someone who was grieving? You know, you go to the funeral home or you, 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 after the funeral, you put your arm around the grieving person. And you say, you know what? I, I just, I'm so sorry for your loss. I've been praying for you. We love you. We're here for you. And I just have a word for you from Jesus that, that buddy, you need to let the dead bury their own dead and just suck it up and let's go. I mean, do you, can you imagine? Jesus couldn't have possibly meant that. And when you understand what the guy meant to Jesus by saying, let me go and bury my father, you understand what Jesus is saying when he says, let the dead bury their own dead. What he's saying is that for people who want to wait in order to kind of stabilize their circumstances or more specifically stabilize their financial situation before they're gonna follow Jesus, they're actually making a choice to not follow Jesus. To not yet follow Jesus is to not follow Jesus and to not follow Jesus is to be a spiritually lifeless person because Jesus said that he came to bring life and life abundant. And so it's the spiritually lifeless person that makes that choice. It's the spiritually dead person that chooses to go and you know, live out those other kinds of circumstances. And it's kind of a play on words to let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. But that's what Jesus means. Jesus means that to, to not choose to follow him, because he says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me and let those who want to say, I won't follow you yet, make the lifeless decision to go and allow their circumstances and their financial situations and whatever to stabilize and treat following Jesus as a someday. As a someday. And Jesus isn't talking this time about following him in his terms He's talking about following him in his timing and following him when he says, follow me, not when we're ready to follow him once our life is in a stable enough place. And I feel like, gang, if, if that first idea wasn't relevant to those of us who are part of 21st century North American Christianity, then this one certainly is. Because there are lots of reasons why we would give God a someday I'll follow you more fully, isn't it? You know, I think about that in my own life. I remember there was an era in university where I, I thought, you know, when I'm done school, then I'll sort things of faith out. I've, I've grown up in the church. I know a little bit, but I, I just, I don't have time for that right now. I, I, I'm into other stuff and I'll, 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 I'll pursue and, and maybe more fully follow Jesus someday. And I had to realize retroactively as I looked at my life and didn't like the person that I was becoming, I had to realize that not yet following Jesus is actually the choice to not follow Jesus. It's to pursue spiritual lifelessness and to deal with the implications and consequences and the, re the re regrets that go with it. That, that's what it means to not follow Jesus, to not yet follow Jesus. And we do that all the time. We do that circumstantially. We say, you know, someday when school's finished or someday when I've got a career or someday when I'm retired and I've got some negotiable time or someday when I'm married or someday when I have kids or someday when the, when the kids are past the newborn stage or someday when the kids are out of the house and we're empty nesters, someday I'll be able to fully follow Jesus. And sometimes that someday has some economic dynamics to it too, doesn't it? You know, someday once I've paid for the weddings or someday once I put my kids through school or someday when my retirement's stabilized or someday when I own my own home and things are settled or someday when my career's where I need it to be or 
You know, some I've even heard people say, you know, can you imagine if you won the lottery, then I'd be able to really honor God and be generous and live the way God wants me to live. Like, it's the ultra example of someday faith. And we do that relationally. We say someday, you know, if, if my parents were more supportive or someday if I lived on my own or someday if my spouse was on board, then we could really be on board together or someday if my boss was only more supportive and we throw out circumstances and even economic realities that we want stabilized or, you know, in order before we actually give the fullness of our hearts and lives to Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, unfortunately, is that to choose the not yet following him road is actually to choose the not following him road. It's aspiring to follow him, maybe. Maybe it's learning about him, but... But not yet following him is by definition not following Jesus. And when you think of the backdrop of these episodes that Matthew's put in, this, this celebration that we studied last week of the healing power and the difference making that Jesus can have through his authority, Matthew wants to... Ch- to change the conversation and instead focus not on the authority that Jesus has, but make us reflect on the authority that Jesus is in our lives. And to ask the question as an aspiring follower of Jesus, am I just learning about Jesus? Or when I learn about his values, when I learn about his priorities, when I learn about what he says about money, when I learn about what he says with the rest of my one and only life, when I learn about what he says with relationships, when I learn about what he says in conflict, when I learn about what he says about certain sins and habits, when I learn about what he says about certain attitudes and behaviors, do I just register that mentally or do I allow that to sink into my heart and surrender myself to be changed by the Spirit of God so that I am actually different? Am I giving Jesus the authority to influence my lifestyle or to just educate my mind? Am I following Jesus on his terms? Am I giving him that kind of authority? You know, on the other side, am I allowing myself to follow Jesus in his timing? Am I giving him that kind of authority? Or am I giving him the someday, when, if, but, only then can I once the circumstances and the stars have just aligned in the way that I'd like to control, then I'll be ready to follow Jesus. And instead, I'm giving Jesus my not yet, which is really a not yet, no thanks. I'm not interested. Or am I giving him the here and now? Yep, I'll follow you regardless. I'm in. Just tell me you know, what you want from me. Do your work in me. Are we giving our yes to Jesus or are we giving him our not yet? Are we following him in his timing and not just on his terms and as we wrap things up today that's what we want to consider as we engage in another reflection exercise this morning that is hopefully equally as significant as the prayer experience last week what we're going to do as we wrap up is we're going to watch a video together about a minute and a half video that's going to just trigger our thoughts on the kind of terms and the kind of timing that we actually give to following Jesus, the kind of authority that we allow Jesus to have in our lives and whether we're not just appreciating that Jesus has that authority, but whether we're permitting Jesus to have that influence of an authority in our lives ourselves. And after that video, the band's gonna come up, the band's gonna play a song over us 
And again, give us an opportunity to respond. But today, the response I want us to consider is whether or not we are actually prepared to follow Jesus right here, right now, on his terms and in his timing, in what we've described in this series as all in. Not just in to learn, but into the way of life. And not just in tomorrow or someday, but in today. And the way that we're going to represent that, if we're at the place where in reflecting on that, we're ready to make that commitment or we're ready to redeclare that commitment to God, is as the band's playing over us, just in a random kind of a popcorn kind of way in your location, I'm going to encourage you to stand up. And... It might feel awkward. We're not looking around, gazing and gawking at the people beside us. This is an internal, personal reflection where we're all focused on ourselves. But today, we don't do this often, but today I'm going to ask you to stand up to make that declaration, that physical, courageous declaration to stand for Christ, to stand for the reality that you're going to follow him today on his terms and in his timing, and not just before God, but before one another in an accountable way, knowing that we're focused more on ourselves than at the person beside us. As the band plays over us, as God prompts you, as you're ready to respond by giving God your yes, I'm going to encourage you to stand. And hopefully there will be people by the end of the song standing all across all of our locations declaring our yes to God that we're going to follow him. But we're not going to follow him around just to learn from him. And we're not going to follow him only when the circumstances are right. We're declaring that we're going to follow him on his terms. And we're going to follow him according to his timing. Because we're going to allow him to call the shots. And we're going to be all into what he wants as the leader of our lives. Because we're not just celebrating and appreciating the authority that Jesus has. Today we're going to shift gears. And we're going to declare by standing together as a faith community. The authority that Jesus is. Not just in our church. But in our own personal lives by following Jesus on his terms and in his timing the way he invites us to follow him are you ready to go let's check out this video and reflect together on whether we're ready to follow Jesus that way check this out 